Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, your host for the Duck Gun Podcast, and thanks for joining me. So today, a little bit of a different style we got going on. Um, So I actually had to cancel. We had two podcasts planned for the evening, and I had to cancel because I had some medical issues come up. If you guys have been following along for a while, you know I've been fighting an infection and <laughs> that's no fun I've been fighting it for over three years now so um, had that come up and we had to cancel our podcast so what's different about today's is Elliot went ahead and recorded a live stream over on his YouTube channel freelance duck hunting so um, you know we didn't want to leave you guys without any contact content and actually listen to it um, partially while he was doing it live and you know it was uh, something I really think you guys would enjoy hearing. So that's going to be what we got going on for the podcast tonight. Um, definitely stay tuned because it's going to be a good one. But before we do that, let's get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right into it. So first, I'd like to give a big thanks out to HCR Innovations. Guys, if you haven't checked out their Quack Pack, their A-Frame Blind, and their gun stand then you're missing out so one product i'm just going to uh, give you guys kind of a brief overview of it is their a-frame it's super light durable goes together in a matter of minutes um, i used it all season long probably hunted more this year out of a-frames than i ever had before and you know i was a believer before but the more and more we use it the more i'm a believer on the last hunt of the year uh, me and Swampman went up to michigan with and met up with the michigan boys and we had a a snowy field hunt, and I mean, right there, out in the middle, of the, the, the field's covered in snow, and we have these two A-frames side by side, just completely brushed in, and um, birds worked in great. We actually shot our four-man limit into the season on a, on a high note, so it was awesome. So definitely make sure to check out HTR Innovations, htrinnovations.com. Uh, Use code DUTTONGUN10 at checkout, 10% off, free shipping. You guys won't regret it. Also, we'd like to give a big thanks out to our friends over at Banded, Avery, and Greenhead Gear. So uh, definitely uh, something that me and Elliot, again, used all season long um, and only got good things to say about it. So a lot of people want to hear about the Red Zone 2.0 waders, and I used them all season long and absolutely loved them. I actually got another Instagram uh, message asking about them. Um, you know, uh, what I can say from hunting with them – in duck season is I hunted uh, over 50 times, and most of those times I was wearing those waders. There's a few field hunts here and there um, that I wasn't. So, you know, upper 40s, and they held up great. No leaks, um, and they work, they work just great. So if you're, if you're wearing neoprene and you want some breathable ones, you know, these are the way to go, super durable, and they're going to they're gonna, um, make it through a lot. So definitely a... Uh, check out Banded at Banded.com. You can check out all the Banded gear, Avery and Greenhead gear, all there at their website. Also, we'd like to give a big thanks out to 
Gunner Kennels. Um, Gunner Kennels protecting man's best friend. You know, we have a lot of time and money invested to our hunting dogs. And, you know, um, the older Chief gets, the more time I've invested in him, the more, you know. And not only that, but they're just our best friend. You want to protect them the best you can. And uh, with the Gunner Kennel, it's double wall rotor molded. They got their patent on that. They're the only ones in the industry that have that. They have the five-star crash test rating. And you'll see stories all the time posted up on uh, on social media where people had an accident, their vehicle flipped, truck flipped, whatever, um, and it's and it's smashed the truck, you know, flipped it over, landed on the kennel, and the dog makes it out of it with with um, you know no harm done, which is just crazy. And so um, you know, definitely kudos to them for making an awesome American-made product um, that protects our best friend and hunting companion. So definitely check out um, Gunner Kennel and, again, use code DuckGun10 over there. Or it's just their code is just DuckGun over there. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the podcast. I am live. Sweet. And I have not done a live stream, guys, for quite a while. It's been a long time since I've done a live stream. Um, I moved out here to the country and my connection is not the to get this thing. My have a decent internet connection out here. So um, here's here's what's going on. Um, I'm supposed to be on Wednesday night. Jordan and I record um, the Duck Gun Podcast live stream. If you guys are, have not had a chance to check out the Duck Gun Podcast um, that Jordan Fromer and I do, it's on all of your podcast outlets if you haven't had a chance to listen to it we've got 138 episodes and so we always record on wednesday night but jordan called me and he came down sick and i'll explain a little bit more about that in a second and honestly i'm not quite sure why i have these headphones on because i don't have to hear anything let me take these off because i'm just used to doing it i guess can you guys hear me all right and everything audio coming through okay and the video um so anyway let me just let me know. There's some people dropping in. Let me know if you if the audio sounds okay and and how the connection is doing. Um, one shot kill. I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing? So Jordan and I record our Duck Gun podcast on um, Wednesday nights, and but tonight I got a call from Jordan and he is really really ill, and and it's not it's not oak on his nuts. <laughs> So he actually has an infection. He's going to have to go into surgery tomorrow. So he's had this effect, infection like three or four different times. He's had to have multiple surgeries on this thing. I was so excited. We were supposed to record with Chris Jobman, Outlander Kennels, and we were supposed to record also with Josh from Outdoor Limits. And we were going to do a back-to-back deal tonight, but we just we couldn't do it because um, Jordan's got an infection. He's going to have to go in surgery tomorrow. So um, prayers for Jordan. Hope he does okay. I asked him, I said, is this – could be, be like really serious serious it's just like any any other infection if it gets into the bloodstream it can be serious but i don't think there's a huge chance of that taking place so i haven't done a live stream for a long time and i'm like i want to talk about waterfowl with you guys so i popped on put your questions in here and i would love to i'll hang on as long as as i want to i think i'm actually going to um run an instagram live stream at the same time I'll just put it up here and I can take questions from either side. So let me go live on there as well. And then we'll get this thing started. Any questions that you have? Boom. Checking connection. Let's see how that looks. 
Okay, where am I at? I gotta turn it around. There we go. I am now live on Instagram and on YouTube. So I can take questions from both places. That's cool. Um, but we've got we've got some things going on. I, I said for those of you who didn't hear here, we um, if you have not had a chance to check out the podcast, we've got 138 episodes that we've put out. Go to Apple or iTunes or any of the podcast locations and check those out. What's up, Instagram? We are live here and on YouTube. Put your questions up. I would be happy to get at them. Um, we're just going to do a Q&A here. So that's what we're doing. So throw up those questions. But I was so excited to have Chris Jobin on. I felt really bad because Chris Jobin, he is the owner of Flatlander Kennels. That's where I got little Georgie. Georgie, come here. Come here. Let me say, let's let Georgie say hi to you guys. Come here. Come on up. Come on up. Here's little Georgie. There she is. Um, so I got Georgie from Flatlander Kennels. And Chris Jobin is, and this guy, Chris Jobin's a freaking stud. I went up there, got Georgie, came back, and um, he was going to come on and talk to us tonight about e-collar training and about force fetch. Because I just got an e-collar for little Georgie, a sportsman, 425. Um, and we were going to talk to him about e-collar training, force fetch, and so I was really, really excited about that. And then we're going to do a double header. We're going to talk to Josh from Outdoor Limits right after that. So I was pumped. And that went down and everything because Jordan's actually in here, old I, old Oak Nuts himself. And this illness he's got has nothing to do with Oak on his nuts. It has nothing to do with that. He actually does the infection. So um, as you guys throw up questions, I'll, I'll, I will answer them. Um, but thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate or Jose. Josh, Jose, I appreciate that compliment. Um, and anyway, we were going to talk about e-collar training. We were going to talk about force fetch because little Georgie, I just trained her on the e-collar and she is doing great, man. I'm telling you, having that e-collar, I've never had an e-collar um, for a dog with a dog before with Izzy or my dog Vera before Izzy. And having this e-collar with this little dog, man, it is phenomenal because she was sitting, she was healing, she was going to play, she was doing all that stuff. But once I got the e-collar it's like boom she sits and she heals and she places it's like it speeds up the process because like chris jobin told me the whole point of the e-collar is trying to get the dog to they're trying to beat the little zap and uh i've educated myself about the e-collar the the setting that i'm using on georgie you can sit there and put it on your fingers and you could hold it there all day it doesn't even really hurt but so georgie's trying to beat that zap to sit to heal, to place. It is a phenomenal tool. It's a phenomenal tool. Um, let's see if we've got, I think we've got some questions here. Uh, Instagram or YouTube, put those questions up there. Um, somewhere in Wisconsin, my buddy Chase says, Wisconsin went to a two hen limit on mallards. Oh my gosh, really? Still only four mallards, but I was surprised to see the switch. Probably won't change my outcome, but interesting, huh? So I'm assuming there was one hen and then moved up to two. Well, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm not ultimately that surprised about that because all of the research shows that, you know, shooting hens really doesn't matter. So I'm not surprised about that. Um, question on Instagram, how's Izzy doing? Izzy is doing awesome. I got her on this medication and actually I was retrieving or I was uh, training Georgie at the, I've got a pond like right outside my house to train Georgie in. And I've got Izzy on this new medication and she was out there doing water retrieves. She acted younger than I've seen her act for a long long time so izzy is doing really really well izzy's doing great wild nation outdoors what was the best way you learned to use your calls and feel good 
about using it during hunts. Oh man, calling is just a, a progression. I, I'm certainly, I consider myself a mediocre duck caller at best. Um, but I feel like one of my strengths with calling ducks is when to call, when to get quiet. Um, I do what typically what's called calling on the corners. And when I see a duck, I will let them know we're there. And if they're acting interested, I'm going to go pretty quiet. And as they swing through, I might give a little feeder calls. And as they're going away, I try to do just a set of about five quacks right at the point in time, which can turn them. And I think the timing in duck calling is really, really important. Um, I, I think it may actually be more important than the actual sound. I've seen ducks can, I've seen ducks come into a lot of really bad duck callers, but the timing is really, really, really important. So um, it's uh, to me, it's more of a timing issue than anything, anything else. Um, Alex on Instagram says, how often do you hunt in Gardner? We've hunted some of the same spots you have. Alex, actually, um, Corn's Pond is in Gardner. So that's the only time I hunt in Gardner is when we're hunting Corn's Pond. It is right outside of Gardner. Let's see what other questions we got. Um, how's Georgie been doing with her training? Well, I mentioned that a little bit. Georgie's doing awesome. I just e-collar trained her and I'm almost done with that. Actually, I was waiting to talk to Chris Jobman today about because he told me that the whole um hit when his e-collar training is two weeks and i'm and i need I, I, i'm so excited to talk to him today because i've done five or six days with georgie and i don't know what else to do she's got it she's sitting she's healing she's going to place she's coming back so i don't really know what else to do with georgie on the e-collar training after five or six days but if chris jobman says it takes two weeks it takes two weeks so i'm not sure what i'm missing on that but she's doing great. She's doing fantastic. I'm getting ready to start force fetch and I'm getting ready to start whistle training to sit. Um, so she's, I'm thrilled. She's doing awesome. And I see Josh old outdoor limits. He joined it on live stream or over at Instagram. What's up, Josh. He and I actually, and my dad, and we went on a white bass fishing trip and there's a couple of videos coming out. He's got a video coming out on that as do I. So, and we had a good time, even though we didn't actually do very well. How is Fumblemitz feeling? Uh, Fumblemitz is feeling great. I mean, he's doing well, actually. Uh, Fumblemitz lives right out the window out there. I can see his camper. Him and my mom live out in the backyard in their fifth wheel and do a bunch of traveling and stuff. And um, he's doing great. We were doing some work today. He's doing awesome. Um, John says, bought the H12 because your reviews that's a heavy pig and nice stable any suggestions on accessories well i would say if you think the h12 is heavy then i think that you should try a traditional layout boats because the h12 is super super light compared to um your traditional layout boats in fact that's one reason we went to it but you know if you want a their kayak or layout boat that's going to take a couple dozen decoys and haul you and a dog it's going to have to be you know, 85 to hundred pounds. And once you get your blind attachment on it, your decoys in it, it does get a little bit heavy. Oh, and Josh outdoor limits just said the video went up today. I didn't realize that. So make sure after the live stream, you go and check out the video, um, on outdoor limits channel. It's our, um, white brass, white bass fishing trip we went on to. And you know what, here's one thing that I've learned about Josh in our time together. We hung out, um, the flyways collective. Now we've gone fishing together. And it appears to me that he has a golden touch. And I think in his life, okay, let me let me give you a couple examples of, about Josh that I've observed. 
he makes beer for the first time. You would think normal people making beer for the first time, it probably is going to taste like crap. Not Josh. It tastes great. Um, he goes out. We, we go out fishing. We have a terrible day. All right. There's five of us. I catch one. Elijah catches zero. My dad catches zero. Um, Josh's brother-in-law catches one. How many think Josh catches? Oh, about eight. And what I, it appears to me that he's got the golden touch in life. And when he touches things, they just, some people just kind of have a knack for whatever. And he appears to be that type of guy. It's like, um, I don't know, instant success. So he actually did pretty decent on the fishing trip and everyone else sucked. So it was Josh ate fish, the, the rest of the four of us too. So that's what I've kind of learned about Josh. Uh, but go check out the video um, of our fishing trip on his channel. I don't have mine done yet. But it, it will be soon. What um, other questions we've got? Have you bought a whistle for little G yet? Justin wants to know. I did and I lost it. And that's why I am um, haven't started whistle training yet. Um, because I lost a stupid whistle. And I'm just being lazy about Because I want a specific whistle. And I had it. And I don't know where it is. So I didn't buy it. If you have any suggestions for a great whistle. I don't like the kind of whistles with the ball in them. And that's the kind that I had that didn't have one in it. And I lost it. So I got I got to buy it. How many, Jordan says, how many days till duck season? I don't know, a bunch. Oh, Golden Boy says we can shoot two pintails again. Well, that's great. I have not shot a pencil drake in about three years, so I don't know where it doesn't really mean that much to me. <laughs> but that is good. I'm glad. I'm, I like it when we have a two pintail limit. Um, ever do any hunting in Wisconsin? Cameron says, no, I have not. But I may have to get up there with old Jordan and do a little bit of um, fishing and, or not fishing, hunting in Wisconsin, for sure. Um, I may have to do that. So put those questions up there. Um, it seems like a, a lot of the questions are kind of geared towards little Georgie. Um, and I love talking about her. I don't know where she went. Georgie is small. She is, she's over there laying down. Georgie's mom was 55 pounds and her dad was 65 pounds. And so she's 11 months now. So a, a, a dog, you guys probably already know this, but um, labs and dogs in general at about 12 months, they have all their bone structure is fully grown. They're like about an 18, 19 year old man. And then, you know, if you notice guys, when they go to college, they start picking up that muscle mass a lot more. And if you look at it, like Golden Boy is a perfect example. When I started hunting with him, he was 18. He was very skinny. He, his muscle was all, or his, his frame was exactly, is, is exactly the same now as it was when I met him, but he's much more filled out. So that's kind of how it is with dogs and, and labs also. So Georgie is coming to the point now where she is pretty much full grown in, as far as her bone structure. And so she is small. She's a little dog, but she's going to be picking up muscle mass over the next um year or so but i i am really really loving her being so little she's just the best house pet she's extremely intelligent in fact today she got into um the closet with her food and i've got it like in a plastic bin and i saw her take her little nose and put it right under like the lid of the plastic bin and just pry it open like a can opener and pop that thing open and her little head her little head went right down in there again she's a smart little dog she's and she's confident but she is not hard-headed. And so what I really want with my limited experience trained dogs, I want a really confident dog and I want one who's 
um, not really hard headed and listens, but not overly sensitive. And that's what she seems to be. I mean, she is confident, but she listens and she's loving and she's not hard headed. So I am absolutely thrilled with everything about little Georgie so far. And I cannot wait. I'm going to do a Georgie vlog here in the next couple of days. I think I'm going to show you some of the pond work I've been doing with her. And also I think I'm going to um, show you just some of the collar work I've been doing. Um, Cameron wants to know, would subscriber hunts ever be a thing? Um, it just depends. Um, I went, I did a subscriber hunt with Tim Cochran, um, this last year and he actually got on the best two day hunts maybe of my life. I mean, we were just absolutely slaughtering. I don't know. I tend to... I tend to really be particular about who I hunt with. And so hunting with just total strangers is not necessarily something that I'm overly um, just because I tend to be a bit of an introvert when it comes down to it. And so the whole thing of just hunting with people I don't know doesn't make me that thrilled, but in the right case and the right time, I will hunt with a subscriber. It, it just depends. It really just depends to me on, on the situation. Um <laughs> There's Georgie right there. John says, how do you feel about jump shooting or floating down a river, popping what flies up? I'm I'm perfectly fine with that, John. Non-power for sure, because you can't have one. I'm perfectly fine. I've never done it. Fomomitz has done it with my uncle Jim a few times. And, you know, a float trip where you're just sitting. In fact, um, Thomas is here, Virginia Outdoors Unlimited. He posted a video of them doing it on a river for geese. I thought that was a fantastically cool video. And I would have been right there beside him doing it if I lived in Virginia. So I don't have now. Would I trade the way I hunt for floating a river and popping, popping uh, ducks at flush? No, I wouldn't trade the way that we do it because decoying them is just so much fun. But I have no issue if someone wants to float a river um, and pop what flies up. I I have no issue with that at all. And, and, and if the chance arose and I could get in on a hunt like that, I would have no problem just doing it. Uh, Thomas, Virginia Outdoors Unlimited says, have you heard about the scop limit de decrease? First time I've ever seen a split season limit. Two birds for the first part of the season and one for the second part in most states. That's crazy. I've never heard of anything like that. No. Um, we see very, very few scop in Kansas. In fact, this last year, Jordan and I were out laying on the ice. Um, this is one of the last. In fact, it was my last hunting video before. Well my last duck hunting video and I know I didn't video Jordan videoed it. I didn't make the video. It was my last duck hunt of the year. And we shot three scop on that day. And that was the first time I'd seen scop for about five or six years. So we don't, we don't see them um, very often at all. Um, I was reading something Jordan uh, <laughs> Aiden and said, but um, that's really strange. That they would break it out like that, where at the beginning of the season, you could shoot two and then one. I would really be interested to, um, I'd be really interested to hear their reasoning. Surely they have reasoning as to why they would set it like that. That's strange, but I love Scop. I, we just don't hardly ever see them. So I think the limit last year in Kansas, I believe Jordan and I looked it up and it was three, I think. If I'm not mistaken, Jordan, if you're still here, let me know. Oh, and there's old Tim Cochran. He's on Instagram live stream. I, I'm looking at my Instagram feed. Man, I love this little, where is it at? A little Kansas public duck hunting sign. And I love that sign. Um, just so cool. 
And as you guys can probably see in my background, I've got these mounts over here, these two gadwalls. Uh, let's see, which one? Aiden shot one of these. Aiden shot this one. Aiden shot that one. And the thing that's so cool about that one is the line in the head. And I shot this one, which was an absolute beauty. And then Simeon shot the widget. I've taken a lot of crap for that widget there because it's honestly, it. I'll show, I'll show the Instagram followers better than this, but it's not a very good mount. Um, it's just the head. The problem I have with that is that, first of all, um, and I'm, I don't know. We had a deal with the um, taxidermists. They sponsored the Duck on Podcast for a year, and it was kind of an unusual situation because we were contacted by a guy. And I gotta be careful how much I talk publicly about this, but we were contacted by a guy, and he's like, "Okay, I'll trade you mounts for a video." And um, then over the course of the year, I sent in. Uh, so then we attached them to the duck on podcast and they were sponsoring both the podcast and kind of the YouTube channel. And the deal was, is that we would promote them on the duck on podcast. And then also um, I would make a video once I got the mounts and everything. And um, so I got them, this, this widget was supposed to be flying. And the, the guy that I made the deal with, he ran on some hard times and um, was no longer at, he, he didn't even do the work. It was someone different there that did the work and, Anyway, that's about as much as I'm going to say about it. I never ended up making the video for some reasons, but I really, really, really like the um, Gadwall mounts. I've, I like the Gadwall mounts very, very much. I think they're cool looking, um, but the Widgeon mount, I'm not really a big fan of. I don't think the head looks very realistic, and it was supposed to be flying, and obviously it's not flying, so... For what that's worth, Th those are my three mounts. I also have, I can only show my Instagram followers this, but I've got a little um, sharp-tailed grouse mount over there too. And I've got a um, deer, so it's a 10-point um, deer that I found out at one of my very favorite marshes. So I've been asked to do um, a video on my mounts, and I don't know if I will or not, honestly. Um, I don't know which is all kind of dry, but let's get some more calls or some more questions up here. Thoughts on brand of sil silos, big owls versus dive bomb versus real geese. Um, I don't know. This is probably stupid to say. I have always been the type of person that like when I was in high school, if everyone is doing one thing, then I don't want to do that thing. It's like as a fad sweeps through, um, I, I become kind of anti that. And that's a little bit how I feel about dive bomb. Um, I feel like it's like really trendy. The guy that does dive bomb and their products are great. Their products are absolutely great. But the, the, the social marketing guy at dive bomb is awesome. He's phenomenal. And it's kind of like the in water. It's like the cool waterfowling thing to do is to use dive bomb. And so it kind of turns me off to it because it's like everyone's using dive bomb and dive bomb stickers. And, and it's like, you guys remember, and if you have one of these, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but you remember the tribal bands that got like in the early nineties guys started getting like tattoos that were tribal, like barbed wire around their biceps and everything. And, and it became like such a big fad, like everyone was doing it. And so many people started, started doing it that it kind of became um, seeming like cliche a little bit. Um, I, dive bomb is kind of like that in a way. It's like, it's so trendy and 
everyone's wanting to use it and everyone's using their stickers and that I'm, I don't know. That just kind of turns me off a little bit. So we, I've got White Rock decoy um, silhouettes and I love those. And they were a sponsor of the Duck Gun podcast last year. And I've got five or six dozen um, silhouettes and socks and I love them. So um, I don't know. I would put White Rock in that um, in that equation too with Big Al's Dive Bomb Real Geese. The only one I have experienced with White Rock is, and I love them. Um, what else we got here? Browning A5 versus Benelli SBE3. I don't have experience with either of those guns. I know Fumbles has a Benelli Black Eagle 2, and it's been a phenomenal gun. And Jordan loves the Browning A5s, and that's been a phenomenal gun. So I would say if you have a Benelli or a Browning, I don't know. Um, the only really, the only semi-autos that I have any real experience with are the Stoger M3000 because Aiden's got one and I've had a chance to shoot it and, and um, seen, seen it and used it a lot. And um, um, the A300 I've got, and I really like that a lot as well. So <laughs> Tim Cochran says dive bomb versus parachute pants. Excellent example. Okay. So for those of you that are between, you're probably going to have to be 40 years old to get this. There was a point in time in the mid 80s, I would say that breakdancing became really, really popular. And I mean like mainstream popular. And I'm not talking like watching breakdancing videos. I'm like my friends when I was in fifth and sixth and seventh grade would get together and they would take cardboard and put cardboard on a floor and they would all wear parachute pants and they would get together and they would try to break dance. And it was like this thing, this like breakdancing was a thing. And it and there was like, if, if you have not seen these movies, you got to check it out. Breakdancing uh, or it's breaking, I think is the name of the movie. And there's breakdancing to electric boogaloo. And those were like mainstream <laughs> movies and so I recoiled against that as well. I was like, no, nah, I'm not buying parachutes and I'm not going to try to do a head back spin on the cardboard. I would go and watch. And if I'm being honest, there was sometimes in the mirror that I would try a little break dancing, but everyone was doing it. And it was actually before, it was a little before MC Hammer. So I'm putting him, it was actually a little before that. MC Hammer was like, I think 90 ish. Like MC Hammer was late in my high school, like a uh, sophomore, 88, 89, 90, 91. That's kind of MC Hammer time. The real breakdancing phase was kind of like 84, 85, 86. Like my, let's see, the Royals won the World Series in 85 and I was in seventh grade. So it would have been like 83, 84, 85 um, when the breakdancing was a thing. And I think, no, nah, I'm not going to wear parachute pants. I'm not going to do the breakdancing thing. So very good example, Tim. Um, all right, let's see. I'm missing some questions here. Let me try to, because I'm just talking about breakdancing. Because, you know, everyone wants to hear about breakdancing. All right, I'm scrolling for some questions here. And Josh says um, that he prefers the full bodies over silhouettes and silos for goose hunting. I would certainly defer to him on that question because I don't have, we don't do a lot of goose hunting, especially field hunting. When we goose hunt, we're hunting uh, ponds and we're hunting sandbars on the river. So as far as field hunting for geese, I have, in fact, I'm trying to think if I've in the past 
I don't think I've ever been on a dedicated goose hunt in a field it, it, or I've done been on two field hunts, both for ducks. I've never been on a goose field hunt that I can think of. I'm trying to remember. So I don't, I just don't have experience with that, but I know on the sandbars um, and at uh, Corn's Pond where we use those. So in Corn's Pond, we use the silhouettes and silos. We put um, about a dozen um, goose floaters out, a couple dozen duck decoys out. And then along the bank line, we'll put the floaters and the silhouettes. And they've worked really, really well out there. Uh, Thomas from Virginia Outdoor says, how are water conditions looking for next year in your areas? Looking just fine right now. Um, we're, we are three or four inches above normal rainfall amount, but that's okay as long as, um, we don't have flooding and we don't. So rainfall amounts are just fine right now. And, you know, this last year was really, really trying because we had this flood come in, in, I think April of last year and all of the, in Kansas, here's how it works. And I've, I've talked about this before and you guys may know this, but, um, in Kansas, a lot of the duck hunting is done around the reservoirs. So starting in about the 20s or 30s, um, Kansas started building a lot of reservoirs for recreation and to control flooding. And so they went in and they used eminent domain and they just said, this land is ours. And they took it over and they built a dam and they made these lakes. And on the, as the, as a river, there's always a river that flows into these lakes. They took a river system and just dammed it up and they created a reservoir. And the last one they did in Kansas, um, actually, which was Hillsdale Lake, which is close to me, was 1980. So they haven't done it for a while. They made a bunch of these. And so when you get a river that flows into this lake, when you have lots of rain, the elevation of the lake goes up and down, up and down. And so as the river flows into the lake in those areas, when you get flooding, you get a lot of back pools and, um, and a lot of duck habitat. And so the state then started creating marshes and building pumps on them. And so a lot of the hunting that you see in Kansas is done on those marshes that are on the front side. Typically the, it's going to be your West side because Kansas is, Kansas is extremely elevated because you start at Kansas city and you go to Colorado, you're going uphill into the mountains. So Kansas drains really fast. So most of the rivers run from, some of them will run a little bit north to south, but it's a west to east. So most of these marshes are on the northwest side um, of your reservoirs. And so as long as all of that area doesn't just flood out, it's fine. So um, when we got this flood that came in in April, the, the lakes were about 18 to 25 feet high. And so it completely, this water came in and just sat on all these marshes where we duck hunt and you have sediment deposits. And I mean, the water sat in there from April, May, June, July, August, September, they didn't get that water out of there until October. So when the water finally came down and you went to these places, it was like, it looked compared to normal years, like an atomic bomb went off. I mean, no vegetation, just silt mud everywhere. It was just terrible, terrible environment. And so what happened was, um, at least from my experience, um, most of the ducks stayed either east or central of where we were. Um, and so the duck hunting around here was, was a lot more of a struggle. Now, if you're more of a, we're not really, my crew, we're not really field hunters. And there's multiple different reasons for that. We rely on public marshes um, to do most of our hunting. So if you were a dedicated field hunter, 
you could still find some some good um, some good birds and some good hunts. But for us, we're typically marsh hunters and river hunters. We really really struggled. So um, this year, what we're hoping that we get more of a, a natural normal precip precipitation amount and we can get all of these moist soil vegetation to grow up in these marshes and around here it's smartweed and um, they will plant some millet but in my part of the state it's pretty much smartweed smartweed is like duck crack they just absolutely love it so the long way around answer thomas's question it's um the habitat right now looks fine i've been out looking around it and and i was surprised actually when we were out fishing the other day um we saw some of the marshes and they have not drained any of the water and so i'm not quite sure why they're continuing to hold water um when right now what we want is we want all of that spring growth to start so i'm not quite sure why they're trying to hold hold water right now but um everything's looking just fine everything's looking good to go um, other questions. So we got someone from Russia. Thanks, man. I have no idea how to pronounce your name. I don't even know what some of those, some of those letters in your name are not even letters in my alphabet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for watching. I would love to see some Russian hunts. Um, on the podcast, we had Russell Ramsey on and he is an international duck hunter. He has built a um, guide service. And what they do is, is they guide you all over the world. So they have these connections um, some of them are in Russia, some of them are in Argentina, some of them are in uh, Asia. And if you have, if you're rich, you can pay these guys to go on a trip over to Russia to duck hunt. And, and man, if you guys got to check out that, that podcast, um, Russell Ramsey is a very, very interesting individual. In fact, he's starting his own podcast um, with um, our buddy Ben. And so really interesting stuff. I'd love to go somewhere like Russia or Argentina and duck hunt. Steel shot versus bismuth fire fire pirate outdoors. Steel shot versus bismuth or tungsten. What is your favorite type of pellet to shoot? I've never shot tungsten. When I started doing a lot of waterfowl hunting, it was 1990, 1991. And Ramsey Russell, not Russell Ramsey. Thank you, Jordan. Ramsey Russell. Um, when I started waterfowl hunting in 1990, 1991, they had just made the switch from lead to steel and when we started um getting into mallard hunts those first few years we were having a lot of problems killing mallards lots of crippled mallards and so my dad actually started doing a lot of research on it and started reloading his own shells and my dad's got a lot of like um chemistry he almost has a, a master's in chemistry not quite and he's got a lot of chemistry um education and and he's got a master's in biology so he got into all the numbers of it and he's like okay here's the deal here's the problem that we're running into with the steel shot is it's not fast enough because i mean we, i'm telling you compared to now we were crippling so many birds and so he got to mess around and making his own shells and he increased the speed of them quite a bit and i don't know what his loads were running as far as speed i mean now loads are super fast but back then i believe some of the loads were like 1250 feet per second um, 1350. I wish he was here to, 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 um, or my cousin, I'm sure he would remember exactly, but these loads were slow. So he got to creating his own waterfowl loads and, and, and the, and I mean, the cripple numbers for us really, really dropped. And then more of the studies came out and says, well, here's the deal with steel. You want to, you want to increase the speed because steel is lighter than lead. That's why lead or like bismuth or tungsten, is so effective. And the example I use is like, okay, if you take a wiffle ball bat 
and you take a aluminum bat and you swing them at the, at the same velocity, which one do you want to get hit with? Do you want to get hit with a wiffle ball bat or do you want to get hit with the aluminum bat? Well, you, you, you want to get hit with a wiffle ball bat because it's lighter. It's not going to pack the punch. It's the same thing with steel versus lead, bismuth, tungsten, those heavier metals. That's why some of these shells are called heavy metal because they're literally a heavier metal per ounce. They just weigh more. And so steel was coming in at such a slow speed that it wasn't fully killing these ducks. So the research came um, out and like, look, if you increase the speed on the steel shot, then you're going to better be able to kill ducks than um, not as good as lead, but better than like a 1250 um, shot per second. And so uh, my dad started reloading them and then um, all the research came in and, and they got much, much better. The steel loads that we shoot now. Um, and I'm, when I, if I'm going to shoot a steel load, I really like the federal, um, federal shell they've done. That's what we've shot for years and years and years and years. And then I do, and we switched over to boss and I'll get to that. Um, but the, that, that federal loads a good load. Um, it's over 1500 feet per second. And last year I shot uh, 101 ducks and I only lost two. And so that kind of tells you, um, I was not having problems losing birds because steel wasn't being lethal. Now I'm very, very careful in my shot selection. So, I mean, and that's really important with steel. You, you really need to be a little more careful about your shot selection because you're, you're going to wound a little bit more. So as the, as the steel shot manufacturers became better and better at making faster loads and quicker burning powders, um, cause that's one thing that you get too. If your, if your powder has got to burn before it gets to the end of the barrel because if it doesn't then you've got unburnt powder as it goes out and it it it's just an ineffective shell um so um that steel that is up over i won't i don't like if i'm gonna shoot steel i want it to be a 1500 or above 1450 minimum i'm not gonna shoot anything under 1400 for or 1450 and that federal is about 15 to 1550 so that's a good shell um, and we got to the point with my dad's reloads, we stopped reloading them because, um, the shell manufacturers were making such good steel shells that were so fast that, um, it wasn't really that big of an issue. So this last year with the Doug on podcast, um, boss shot shells became a sponsor. And so I started, we shot this last year's boss for the first time, which is bismuth. And my numbers are actually versus the last year's steel that I shot where I shot 101 ducks and lost two versus the bismuth where I shot, gosh, I don't remember how many ducks I shot last year. Something like 83, 85. I don't know. And I only lost two. So my, my, my loss numbers were the same, but I will tell you this um, with the bismuth. When I pulled the trigger at 30 to 35 yards, in between 30 and 40 yards, I could tell that I was crumpling ducks like I wasn't with steel. And there were several birds that went down wounded that I shot at them at about 35 yards. And I thought to myself, if I had been shooting lead, I would be chasing that bird and, I, and maybe, maybe losing it. So I could absolutely tell the difference between steel and bismuth. I've never used tungsten because tungsten is really, really, really expensive. It's, it's even more expensive than bismuth. But if you have the pocketbook to use a bismuth or a tungsten versus steel, you should absolutely do it because in the long run, you are going to effectively and cleanly kill more birds with tungsten or bismuth than you are with steel because it's heavier. And when, and, and those loads are not slow loads. Um, that bismuth 
um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, if you're still on here, I believe that bismuth load that I was shooting, that we're shooting was 1350, which 1350 is fine. If you're shooting something that's a lot heavier, I mean, you, know, you go back to the example um, again with steel or a wiffle ball bat versus an aluminum bat. I mean, I, I can hit you really hard with a wiffle ball bat and you're not fine. It doesn't take near the speed for me to hit you with an aluminum bat for it to really, really hurt. Now, those examples are very vast compared to the difference in weight between the different metals, but it's the same concept. Um, if you're using bismuth or tungsten, you don't need those shells to be as fast because when they hit, they just, they pound them. So um, I would, my number one choice would be bismuth because I used it this year and I loved it. But these steel, that being said, these steel loads that they, that they are making these days are fantastic loads and you can't you can kill plenty of ducks with those steels, but you, you just have to be a little more conservative with your shot selection um, because it's just not going to hit quite as well. Um, any other questions? Well, I have been, if you want to put up a question or two more, I'd be happy to answer it. Tim Cochran says that 1250 was very common when steel came out. Yeah. And that was a big problem. 1250 feet per second with steel is a big issue. It is not fast enough. Not fast enough. Well, thank you guys for being on here and asking questions and um, talking waterfowl. Uh, like I said, I was really, really disappointed um, that we couldn't do our, our podcasting tonight. And I had been wanting to get on and do a live stream. I hadn't done one for a while. So. Thank you so much and prayer out for Jordan for his surgery tomorrow, that everything goes well with that. Because like I said, this has been a reoccurring infection with him. And I know that he is really, really getting tired of dealing with this. He's had like three surgeries about with this thing. So um, let's, you know, put a little prayer out for him. And hopefully that this, you know, worst case scenario, that we want this infection to stay in that spot because we don't want it to get into his bloodstream. So Jordan is a wonderful human being. I have had a chance to um, really, really get to know him when, since we started the podcast together and we have spent so much time talking and actually now hunting together. Great individual. And um, hopefully everything goes well with his, with his surgery tomorrow. So Jordan, let us know because we care about you and we want you to be okay. Um, so thank you so much, guys. I think I'm going to sign off now and, and waterfowl season's a long ways away, but you know, before I, I will say before, before I jump off, um, if you got this cold front coming in, I know it's coming into Kansas. Let me tell you what to do. I did this last time. I'm doing it again. Um, we got a cold front coming in. It's going to be low of 28, high of 44. When these cold fronts come in, get yourself, get your butt out to the marsh and pretend it's fall and you're going to see ducks. You're going to evaluate what's growing up. And when I did this last time um, and I put Instagram stories on it, I got to know this marsh better than I'd ever known before. So we got a cold front coming in, get out there, um, put on your hoodie and your, your banded jacket and pretend it's fall because it's really, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me and I will talk to you later. Go right now. If you want something to listen to duck on podcast, check it out. Bye, guys. Alrighty, folks. And that's a wrap. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in for um, another episode. Really appreciate it. And, you know, um, big thanks to Elliot for covering me while I was gone, while I had to be uh, out for um, my illness and getting through that. So 
Um, still not out of the woods. Actually got a surgery coming up next week. So, um, you know, but beyond that, we're going to keep the podcast rolling out. we got a guest coming on uh, this week. That podcast will be out before the, the surgery, and we'll try to keep everything rolling as smooth as we can through that. Um, but definitely got some awesome guests lined up for the future coming up. And we are going to get um, Chris Jobman coming on. He's the next next guest we're having on this week. So uh, stay tuned for that one, guys. Um, as always, I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys on the next one.